This is the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet, Episode 28. Pat Sweet here, and welcome to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast, the show dedicated to helping engineers thrive. Today, I speak with accomplished entrepreneur, author, and high-tech executive, Brett Fox, to learn everything you ever wanted to know about launching a successful startup. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast. My name, of course, is Pat Sweet, and I am super, super excited to have you here. We've got a great show for you today, and there's a lot of great stuff happening in the engineering and leadership community. I've got a new coaching client, new corporate client uh, working with me. There's there's obviously a lot going on outside of the podcast with respect to my my mission to help engineers thrive. So uh, the coaching and consulting are a huge part of that. So I'm very, very excited about that. And I finally made contact with uh, a fellow a fellow creator in the world of engineering named Stephanie Slocum, the author of She Engineers and the founder of Engineers Rising. So Stephanie, thank you very much for uh, for that chat. Really excited to collaborate with Stephanie um, and and work with her on some cool stuff in the future. So stay tuned for that. And finally, and finally, and most importantly, I am finally booked for my first COVID vaccine which is a huge victory here in Nova Scotia to be getting a vaccine. I'm very excited about that and very excited to see the light at the end of the tunnel with respect to this whole COVID pandemic. So here's my call to you. If you do have the opportunity, go get yourself vaccinated. Help save the world. And with all that, let's move on to my chat with Brett Fox. Many of us dream of going it alone one day, of shedding the nine to five and trading in your cubicle for a desk in a garage somewhere. Society lionizes the likes of Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, and it's incredibly tempting to imagine what life might look like as a successful entrepreneur. But what's it really like to be an entrepreneur? How do you even get started? And how do you know if the idea you have in your head is actually a good idea in the first place? In today's episode, I speak with Brett Fox, a seasoned high-tech executive and entrepreneur who has made a career of launching successful businesses and turning around floundering ones. He answers all the most important questions about launching a successful startup and shares particular insight into the importance of having a fantastic founding team, why clarity of thought is critical, and why the COVID-19 pandemic might just be the perfect time to launch a new venture. Today, Brett runs his own startup consulting and training business and is the author of Learn How to Take a Punch, Building Your Startup Isn't a Marathon, It's a Prize Fight. Brett holds a Bachelor's of Electrical Engineering from the University of California, San Diego, and an MBA from the University of Southern California. Here is my conversation with Brett. Mr. Brett Fox, welcome to the show. Thank you so very much for, uh, for joining me here tonight. It's my pleasure to be here. Oh, this is this is going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be a lot of fun because you, you represent a world that I've always been curious about, but but never really jumped into myself. And, and that's and that's uh, uh, entrepreneurship and 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 the world of startups. And I think it goes without saying that that the the COVID pandemic has wreaked havoc on a lot of people's careers. It's really forced kind of a reset for a lot of people. 
And even for those who who haven't been put in this situation, I think a lot of us as engineers think about starting a business one day or creating a product or or going out on our own. What I'd like to to start off with is what kinds of things should people be thinking about before they take this entrepreneurial leap, uh, especially in in the the climate today? Mm-hmm. Well, the the climate actually, interestingly enough, is it's a great time to start a company huh. because you have all these pools of talent all over the world that you can tap into, which is kind of nice. So it used to be like you'd be in your little pod wherever you are. And if you're like where you are, Pat, in Nova Scotia, you'd be looking for all the engineers in Nova Scotia to work with. In today's world, uh, especially with COVID, there are teams being formed virtually all over the world. So it gives you a lot more optionality than you might have had in the past. That's certainly one of the differences. I think the second difference is, especially on the software side, now I'm a hardware guy, but still on the software guy, on the software side of things, the cost of starting companies keeps going down and it keeps getting less and less capital, uh, more and more, I, I guess a better way of putting it is more and more capital efficient, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. in, in terms of starting companies. So you need less capital to get started. You can get started relatively cheaply prove out an idea, and then raise money later if that's what you decide to do. See, that's re- really interesting. You say that this is actually kind of a good time, but but it makes sense. It makes sense. You've got a bunch of talented people all over the world. People have figured out working remotely now, so yep. so why not? The, the, yeah. the sky's the limit. How, how would you go about finding people? You know, there, there's, there's, there's social yeah. media, there's all the rest, but yeah. what, what, what approach would, would Brett Fox take? Okay, so this is kind of the the flip side of this. As much as I said, hey, it's great you can find all these people, (laughs) let's start at the beginning. Because at the beginning, we're talking about our founding team, those first two or three or four people that you're going to be working with. And what do those people look like? And what's going to give you the best chance of success? So let me start with one daunting figure. And that is more than 50% of founding teams will fail. And, And what I mean by failure is, one or more of the founders isn't going to survive probably more than a year, maybe two years. And this is even if you know the people, they're not going to survive. So what's the challenge for you here? Part of the challenge is finding people that really understand and are committed to being involved in a startup because startups are not easy and you have to really believe and you have to be fanatical about what you're going to do. So you're looking for fanatics. So your question is, where do you find the fanatics? Well, usually the best chance of success you're going to have are with people that you know, people that you've worked with before, people you know, uh, maybe business partners of yours. Those are the people right in your own network, one degree of freedom for you. Those are the people that you want to start with because you're reducing risk by doing that. And that's part of being a good entrepreneur is reducing risk. So having people you know is going to reduce your risk a little bit. So, so tell me something. In, in your experience, uh, you say ha- half of founding teams fail. Is that a is that a relationships thing, or is that a startup thing, or or maybe both? Like like what is it? What is it that drives that? Okay, it's it's partially it's a relationship thing because I think that there's a large portion of this which is related to. Uh, understanding how to work with people because it's fairly intense. It's like if you can imagine dating and put the analogy of dating and then add in huge financial concerns, the pressure of building a product on top of it, that's kind of what a founder relationship is. 
you know, so you have this money issue, you're trying to get something done and you're building a relationship all at once. That's a large part of the reason that a lot of these relationships fail is because it's really intense. It's really hard. And I also believe it's kind of a second piece of this. A lot of founders from what I see, one or more of the founders isn't truly committed. They'll say, Oh, cool. Yeah, sure. I'll start a, I'll start a company with you. And then they get into it and they go, Oh my God, this is really, really hard to do. This is a lot harder than I expected it to be. And they're not prepared for the intensity and how hard it's going to be, not just for one week or one month, but for years, you know, to come. So that's a big surprise, I think, for a lot of people. So I can go on and on, but those are really the the two main reasons that I see. Right, right. And, and it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect yeah. sense. It's exciting in the early days. It's, you know, you've got this this thing you've created yeah. in your own mind and and all of a sudden the, the work shows up, right? <laughs> yes. There's, there's got to be a lot to it. Well, the, the, the work shows up and then you go through a long period of time and what do you have to show for your results? In many cases, nothing. Right. And there, there's what's called, venture capital is called the J-curve. And if you can imagine, like draw a J in your mind and imagine that that is the profitability of the business or the value of the business. It starts out a little bit high and then it starts going down over time because money's being depleted. And it's at that point at the trough of this J that's when things are going to either fail and die or start to pick up. Mm -hmm. And it's which one is going to happen to you. So it's at this point when you're at your ultimate point of just despair that, you know, something good may happen and you have to just have this belief and this fanaticism to stick in there you know, through all this to make it happen. So you've talked about, you've talked about belief. You've talked about fanaticism. Yeah. Um, how do you know if, if you've got an idea or someone has approached you with an idea, how do you know you're the right kind of person to succeed in business? How do you look at yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, like I, I've got what it takes. Okay. So let me see if I can give you my best answer on this one. So when I, when I think about this, um, one thing is clarity of thought especially for founding CEOs, I think is really important. So the great thing for all of us engineers, think about what we've learned all through our schooling and everything else. Part of it is how to think clearly. That's part of being a really good engineer. So that's why there are a lot of really good engineers who make great entrepreneurs and great CEOs because they already know how to think clearly. They already know how to problem solve, which is a big part of this. So those are really important ingredients. But on the flip side of this, if you can't think clearly and you try and complicate things, think about how you solve engineering problems. If you're solving engineering problems and typically your solutions are more complex and are not elegant in the way that you do them, that probably isn't going to translate very well into entrepreneurship because entrepreneurship, especially from the business side of things, is all about simplicity. You're really trying to simplify things to make things move faster. Yep, yeah, makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. So, okay, let's say, let's say we pass the mirror test. You look at yourself yeah. say, yeah, I'm, I'm the right kind of person for this. How do you know you've actually got a good idea? Because <laughs> you, you, might, you might be the greatest person in the world, but without a good idea, your, uh, no. your, your, your J-curve is going to look like an I, won't it? Yes, it will. Yeah. That's exactly right. And with a big stamp <laughs> in the ground, too. So um, uh, what do they call it? They call it building a smoking hole in the ground or whatever. So here's the thing. How do you know? You don't know until people start buying what you're selling, unfortunately. I can 
think I have the greatest idea in the world. And you could think, Pat, you have the greatest idea in the world. And maybe you do, maybe you don't, maybe I do, maybe I don't. The reality is until somebody buys whatever it is, a dollar, $5, whatever it is, until somebody pays you real money, that's the real turning point of whether you know you're onto something or not. Because if they don't pay you, and you, and this, this is a classic thing you see with people, they'll tell you, I've proved my idea, I've talked to customers, and here's the thing you'll hear. They told me they'll buy my product, my service, my software, my whatever it is. That's not good enough. You have to get people to place orders and pay you cold, hard cash. That's how you know you're on the verge of maybe having something. And then maybe you still don't know because it's still, are you going to get the second customer, the third customer, the 10th customer, all the way through all of this? There's always going to be challenges and wonderment about whether or not you, you are really at the point that you need to be. But that's the basic answer. You don't know until people start buying. But, but isn't that really hard? Yes. <laughs> like it's I imagine I'm hard it, yeah. in, in, in the software world, I, I get the sense that, and, and uh, I'm like you, I'm not a, I'm not a software guy. Um, but like you mentioned off the top, that's, that's relatively uh, capital efficient. You can, yeah. you can rip something up without, without needing to buy a factory. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, yes. and staffing with a hundred people. But what about, what about for the rest of us? Right? How do you how do you sell a a real product to validate an idea without without needing to make that full investment? How does that work? Well, sometimes you can get people to pre-order from you. Mm, there okay. are all sorts of clever things that you can do to reduce your risk. You just have to be clever about it. You can show people a demo of what you're doing in software. Maybe it's a hardware product. You know, for example, there's a hardware company that I'm working with, um, and they they started off by doing software demos. Uh, because really what was powering the hardware was the software and that's where all the intellect was. But they said, look at, look at what we can do in software. Here's what we'll show you the hardware rendition of what we're doing in software is. And then they went step by step by step, reducing the risk uh, and showing people each step of the way, what they could do, which led them to more money, which led them to the next stage and the next stage. Now this particular company is valued at about $1.5 billion dollars. Wow. Through that kind of approach, pretty amazing. Yeah, that's that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, and, cool. and like you said, one one step at a time. Yes. So, and 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 this is you, you've anticipated my next question here um, is it's about that first step. And you know that this this for a lot of people, particularly people who are uh, comfortable in in a corporate gig, right, full time job. Is is making that uh, that transition that very first step? Yeah. What do you recommend to people who are 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 looking to do that? Because in in, in my mind, anyway, that's the biggest step is that first one away mm-hmm. from the the familiarity and the comfort of of the corporate gig. Yeah. So you you brought up a really really good point because. Here's the thing. You can jump and you can fail. And you have to, this is why I bring up fanaticism, because you have to have this belief beyond belief. And you have to have this burning desire inside of you to want to do this, because there is the real possibility you're going to fail. Uh, And that is there all the time. And you have to accept that and you have to say, you know what, I want to do this, even though I believe 
and I understand that I might fail, that's okay because I don't care what the odds are and the odds are stacked against you. If you look at the numbers, it's going to tell you you're going to fail, but you don't care. You're going to go do this. If you want inspiration on this, there is a great book on this story called Shoe Dog, which, which is all about the story of Nike and Phil Knight. And that was not, if you understand the Nike story, that was not an overnight success. He was selling shoes out of his car for years. Um, and then he was on the brink of failure for years. And he did not care. He found a way to just keep going. Now, this is, the, I, I don't know whether this is something you've thought about, but here's the thing, right? And this is, this is the thing that scares me about what we're talking about is you could be listening to this and going, okay, I'm going to go do it. But if you don't have that clarity of thought that I was talking about earlier, and you don't have all these other possibilities of things, like you don't think you have a really good idea, um, and you're not committed, and you can't build the talent around you and all these other things that are on the checklist, um, then you're not likely to succeed. I just It's kind of funny. I just remember this. I also just released a video. Uh, if you go to my YouTube channel, uh, Brett J. Fox. Uh, on YouTube, you'll find this video I just did on this subject about how do you validate your idea? And there are like seven steps you can do real quick, um, probably in an hour or two, you know, to validate whether or not you've got a good business idea and whether, you, whether or not you should go forward. And if you go through those steps, uh, my video is like 12 minutes or so you can watch it and uh, just follow along those steps. And that'll give you a real good idea of whether you're on the right track or not. Yeah, I was watching that actually uh, earlier today, oh, okay, so I'll, cool. I'll, I'll be putting a link to that in the show notes so people can can easily get Perfect. to that. Uh, it's it's great, it's great, and and you ask some some really challenging questions, not not uh, inherently difficult questions, but but questions that you got to be honest with yourself about things like yes. market size and competition, and like you said, building a team. Right. Um, it's it's amazing to me to think that you could do anything substantial in under an hour with respect to, mm-hmm. to validating an idea, but, but you, you, you do, you do paint a fairly, like you said, a, a very clear path. Right. And obviously there's more to do, of but course. if you can kind of go through that, then you're on to the next stage of it. And the stage after that, there's also something you just mentioned, which I think is also really important for if you decide to take this leap, even if you don't decide to take this leap in your career, you have to be really intellectually honest with yourself about your strengths, your weaknesses, and especially we all have blind spots. And if you can understand what your blind spots are, that's going to just really serve you well in life, regardless of whether you're on the entrepreneurship path, you're going to stay an engineer, whatever you decide to do, understanding those blind spots, being really honest with yourself about the strengths and weaknesses you have that's critical in this because if you recognize, you know what, I really, really am not committed to working this hard. I really like the nine to five life. I'm happy with what I'm doing. And even though, yeah, I've got a little bit of an itch to be an entrepreneur, that doesn't sound like me, then please stay doing your engineering job, please. <laughs> well, that's good advice, I, I suppose, is is understanding um and I, I realize I've been I've been painting painting this conversation a bit as though um, you know engineers everywhere would want to become an entrepreneur, right? Um, but yeah. I, I think I think this is an important thing to pull out of this. Is is I, I'm sure there are plenty of people who uh, have that itch or have had that thought. Um, 
And it sounds to me like what you're saying is, please, please, please think twice, right? This is not mm-hmm. for everyone. Not everyone is yes. going to be an Elon Musk. That just, that just, right. the math just doesn't work on that. That's right. Yeah. And, and look, we're engineers typically are risk averse people anyways. So let your risk aversion guide you also in terms of what your choices are. And if you really believe you're onto something and you think you've got something really cool that you think you can add to the world and you go through my simple checklist or whatever checklist you devise and you say, yes, 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 I'm on the right path, then fantastic. You know, um, you know and, and you're willing to take that risk and you're willing to understand, yes, I could fail with all the ramifications of failure, then go for it. Right. So we've talked, uh, as, as one might expect, quite a bit about failure, uh, about the things that can go wrong and the risk associated with starting and scaling a business. Are there some, are there some common mistakes, some things that you tend to see time and time again that you yeah. kind of bury your head in your hands? Like, why, why, why are you doing this? Anything that you might uh, pass along to people yes. in terms of lessons learned? Absolutely. So let's start again with team. In my humble opinion, it all comes back to team. Hire really good people. Hire hire people who are good fits for the culture you want to have in the company. Think hard about the culture you want to have in the business because a good company culture is likely to lead to a good company. It is interestingly enough, the number one predictor of a successful startup is your, is your company culture. If you have the right company culture, a collaborative culture, uh, a culture where really nobody wants to leave the company, then you're on the right track and everything else will take care of itself. So really think hard about people. Don't bring in people who aren't committed. Don't bring in what are called brilliant jerks. You know, the really, we've all worked with them, these really smart engineers, but they're really a load and, and you don't want to work with them and you know they drive everybody crazy. They may be geniuses, but guess what? They're going to drive away everybody else inside of your small company. And think about this. If you have like a 10-person team and you have one person like that on your team, that's 10% of your company Right, is, is like that. That's a huge percentage. So think hard about team. Manage your cash. Really, really manage your cash. Even if you raise money, even if you're successful raising millions of dollars, manage your cash like this is the last cash you're ever going to get from everybody, you know, because if you're not a stickler for the details, if you're not on it regarding how much money you have, where that money's going, when you're going to run out of money, those are things that are really critical. Okay. Since we're on that point, I can keep going on this. Um, Think about uh, how, when you're going to raise the next amount of money that you need, when do you run out of money? And then move back from that at least six months ideally one year to go raise your next round of money because it typically takes around six months to raise funding, sometimes faster, sometimes less. You need time. When you raise money, ideally raise two years worth of money. So you have a pad. There's a whole list of these types of things that you want to work through, but those are the basic ones. The one that makes me really sad, and I get probably about a request a month from people for this is the I'm going to run out of money in two months or one month, and I could really use your help to go raise that round of funding. And my response is, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Right. It, you know, unless a bolt of lightning hits you, uh, you're, you're in deep trouble and it doesn't make any sense for me to help you. 
you've got to do everything you can to uh, tell people what to do, but it's a really difficult position. And those are the people who you feel really bad for because they've just, they've done it to themselves by not giving themselves enough runway, you know, to go raise that next round of funding. And I see that over and over again. So I'm really glad you, you bring up venture capital. One of the things that I've read about about you and you, your entrepreneurial journey. You're going to have to correct me if I've got the numbers wrong. Yeah. I've read that 63 venture capital firms turned you down before the 64th funded one of your companies. Yeah. Is, that, is that right? That's exactly correct. So I, I guess a couple of questions on, on that front. How do, you, how do you go through rejection 63 times and still, and still get up in the morning and, and get after it? And then okay. is venture capital even the best way for people to fund their startups? There's got to be there's got to be a better way than getting turned down dozens and okay. dozens of times. Right. So so let's start with the last question first. So regarding sure. venture capital, most companies are not venture funded. Most even most startups are not. It's like one in one hundred or something like that. Oh really? And it's a small percentage. So most companies, if you start a business, you're more likely to start your business with your own money. Your friends' money, your family's money. That's where you're going to start. That's how most companies start. It's not VC funding. In my particular case, because we needed to raise a lot of money because we were building a semiconductor company, and those take a huge amount of capital to get off the ground. I didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. I had to raise money or else I was dead. But in most people's case, you start with your own funding. You start with friends, family, maybe the bank, you know, places like that. That's where you're going to raise your money at the beginning. Maybe you raise money from VCs later, but again, most companies are not funded by VCs. And even if your company is not, and it, there's no stigma against you at all, there's nothing wrong with doing this. There are very successful companies out there that never took a nickel of venture funding. Um, I, I think of one company, I just spoke to the CEO today that I'm working with, Never took a dime of money, started with $80,000 of his money and his co-founder's money. That company is now worth $300 million. Wow. And they're going to go sell the company. I think they finally decided this is the time to sell. And they're working a sale process right now. So there are all sorts of different ways to start businesses. You don't need venture funding. So on the second part of your business, what's the answer? Well, sometimes it was really hard, to be really honest with you. There were some sure. rejections that really hurt. Uh, and I can remember after one of them near the end of the process, when we were down to like four or five people on our list and that was it. And we thought they were going to fund us. And then they backed away at the last second and the VCs, there were two VCs involved, uh, two partners at this one VC firm and the older partner um, who I knew pretty well, he, he met with me afterwards and he said it was all about you and bad references about you, Brett. And uh, he said, I never, I, he really laid it on. And it was like, I've never seen references like this before in my life. Now, rep, by references, what he's talking about are backdoor references. It wasn't people that I gave him. They do their own checking. So he checked on me and he found some things about me which weren't nice and weren't good. And, uh, and he laid it on like, it's like, why would you even wake up in the morning? Wow. And I went home and my house is about... 10, 15 minutes from Sand Hill Road in the Silicon Valley, I drove home and I laid on my bed and I cried because that was, that was as bad as it got. That was just horrific. 
And that was on a Thursday. Uh, I took Friday off, didn't do a thing. And then I talked to my co-founders on Saturday. And one of my co-founders said, well, do you want to keep going? And my instant answer was, yeah, I want to keep going. And then literally the next investor we spoke to was the one that funded us. Wow. The very next one. Pure serendipity and pure luck uh, that that happened that way. But it was all through the process. My thought was numbers, numbers, numbers. And that I understood that because one of the parts of my background is I was an entrepreneur in residence inside of a VC firm. So I understood kind of the way VCs worked. I understood the numbers game that VCs are playing and that for every 100 face-to-face meetings that venture capitalists will take, they will invest in one company. So my thought was, I got to meet with 100 VCs to get the numbers to work for me. So I I didn't get to 100. Uh, I got to 64. uh, And there weren't too many after that that I I had left on my list, but that's what it took. So what strikes me about that story is that the the decision not to fund the company seems as though it was really really focused on on you as a a person yes and how, how do you you know that, that 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 must be just devastating a to know that that people you you have worked with are giving you bad references but then but then also to know that that or at least to feel like it was your fault, I guess. Or, or certainly that's that's where that's where I would be. I, I'd feel like mm-hmm. really like I, I let the team down. Mm-hmm. Yes, all, all of the above. I mean, when I went home and I started crying, I was asking myself this question: What have I done? And I understood where the bad reference checks were coming from. They were coming from stuff I had done 10, 10 years prior. Uh, you know, in my younger days, when I was rough around the edges and I wasn't as nice to people and I wasn't as evolved as I am now, that's where it came from. Uh, But it didn't matter where it came from, right? It happened. uh, They decided not to invest. I understood what I was and understood what I wasn't. At the same time, everything you're saying is correct. I was questioning myself a lot. And I had, we had a second investor. So we had two investors. We had one investor early on that had committed to giving us five and a half million dollars. And we needed the second investor. And that's what took forever Right, um, was that second investor. And I talked to the first investor about what this, what this other investor had said. And he said, yeah, we knew that about you, but look, you got stuff done. That was the other thing that we heard about you. And uh, they didn't care. So it was just, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And, and for one person, it was like, okay, he was rough around the edges uh, but we're getting, we, we believe he can get stuff done. He's got a good team around him. The other one couldn't see beyond that. Right. So, um, so, so it sounds like that, uh, fit between yes. the organization and the people funding it is, yes. is critical. It's not, it's not a black and white decision. There's a lot of gray, no, there's a lot it, of judgment it, there. Very much so. And investing is a very emotional decision. It's not logic. It's emotion that drives investors, and they're thinking about, okay, I've got to work with this person for the next seven to 10 years. Do I really want to work with this person? Uh, you know, where do I want to put my money? Um, and at that point in time, that particular fund, as were a lot of funds in the Silicon Valley, they were getting away from semiconductor investing. And in fact, they never invested in another semiconductor company. Again, it's a very well-known fund uh, in, in the Silicon Valley, one of the oldest funds in the Silicon Valley. And the 
two partners. One of the partners is now emeritus there, which means he's just elevated up. He's not investing anymore, but they keep him. They let him come into the office and pontificate or whatever. And the other partner uh, was asked not to participate in the next fund, uh, which means that he was let go. Uh, essentially. Now, he and I, it's kind of funny, he and I are actually personal friends. Our kids know each other uh, and, our, and our wives are friends. But, you know, stuff happens, you know. So it's kind of, a, in one sense, it's kind of like any any world and any ecosystem. It's a small ecosystem. Uh, but that's what he he and his partners had decided. He had to move on because they couldn't, they couldn't get any deals done in the space anymore. They decided it wasn't a profitable space. So, um, that's what happened. Right, right. It it's, it's, sounds like a, a, a strained world, a, a, an emotional yes. roller coaster, to say the least. Yes. If if you look back, Brett, on on your journey as as an entrepreneur and as someone who has who has helped uh, numerous businesses grow and scale and become profitable, what's what's the number one lesson you think you've learned through all that 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 you might want to share? Okay, I, I think uh, I think my theme today is people, people, people. So I'm going to keep coming back to people. Think hard about the people you want to bring into your organization. Make that your number one priority because I believe if you have really good people around you, whatever changes, adjustments, people talk about pivoting as some magic thing that companies do. What allows all of this to happen is having really good, strong people around you who fit the culture you want to build. If you do that and you focus on that at the beginning, that's going to allow you to make whatever adjustments you need to make, whatever changes you need to make to your company as you go forward. If you don't have strong people, think about how are you going to execute your idea anyways? The answer is you're not going to be able to. It's going to be really difficult. So build a strong team. Think about the team first. Think about the culture. That's going to guide you. That's the most important thing for you. Love it. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for that, Brett. Um, if anyone is interested in learning more about you and your work or may, maybe working with you, what's uh, where, where's the best place for them to go? Uh, they, the best place is my website, which is www.brettjfox.com. I also have a book, by the way, called Learn How to Take a Punch, which you can find on Amazon. Uh, so if you're interested, you can read my book also. Uh, there's my YouTube channel as well. You can, uh, Pat's going to put a link to that uh, in the show notes so you can find, so you can find that as well. Uh, and those are the basic places to find me. I also write a lot on Quora. Uh, so if you follow Quora, you'll see me on Quora. I also write on Medium. So I'm always writing. I give away like 99% of what I do for free. So there's tons of stuff. I, I love writing. So I'm writing every day anyway. So I'm posting and publishing Every day, something new, either videos or uh, blog posts of some sort. That's great. And, and you're absolutely right. I will absolutely be putting links to, uh, to all of that in the show notes um, so people can, uh, can find that quite easily. Brett, thank you so much for your time today. This has been, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate yeah, me it. Me too. It's been a blast. Thank you so much, Pat. You bet. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you so very much, Brett Fox. That was an absolute blast. Uh, again, if you wanted to check out any of the resources, anything we talked about during the episode, head to our show notes at engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 28. All of the links will be there. I thought it was really, really interesting, uh, a number of the things that Brett mentioned and, and the fact that he thought that now was actually a really good time to start a business kind of floored me. And 
it didn't really materialize until he mentioned it over and over and over and over again, the importance of that founding team that that I really saw his point. Yeah, I, I realize that there are a lot of people looking for work right now. There are a lot of organizations and a lot of individuals who are used to working remotely. So your geographical search doesn't have to be quite as limited. Uh, but really, by by the end of the interview, I, I, I saw what he had to say, which was there's nothing more important than that team, than that founding team when you're trying to launch something. And frankly, now's a great time to be finding people who are up to a challenge and up to doing something really big. So I thought that was really interesting. The other thing that he mentioned was the importance of clarity of thought. And I thought that was brilliant. And I think this is important for anyone who wants to lead anything, whether that's a new venture or a project or an idea. If you can't organize your thoughts, you can't cast a vision. And if you can't cast a vision, there's no hope of you being able to lead others. So clarity of thought is one of these core skills that I really do think you can learn. And the the best way uh, I've ever seen to try and hone those skills is through writing, right? That forces you to turn your your ideas, which are kind of bouncing around your head, into something you can actually transcribe. That really does force you to organize things. So I really do recommend that. Uh, but interesting to hear someone else frame it in this way. I thought that was great. And then finally, the last thing that really stood out to me was the importance of culture and and not just setting up a particular culture within an organization, but also being really aggressive about having people within your organization jive with that culture. And as as has happened a number of times since I interviewed Dr. Katrina Borus on Brilliant Jerks, uh, Brett also mentioned Brilliant Jerks and the fact that, especially in a small company, you just can't afford it. If you've got a team of 10 and one person is a brilliant jerk, 10% of your whole organization is made up of jerks, and and that just can't be allowed to fly. So I really appreciated that point as well. So thank you once again, Brett. That was a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward to seeing what's next uh, for you and following your work. Again, if you'd like to learn more about Brett or anything that we mentioned in the episode today, just head to the show notes, engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 28. Next up, we've got the Engineering and Leadership Mailbag. Well, you know how this works. This is the part of the show where I read your messages and answer your questions. I promise to read everything you send me, and I promise to share my very favorites here in the podcast. Carlos Majudo wrote to ask if I do one-on-one career coaching. And luckily, yes, I do, Carlos. Thank you very much for asking. I get that question a lot. Um, and I'm very, very excited about that because it, it provides me an opportunity to work directly with engineers, with ambitious folks who are either looking to get into management or looking to become stronger leaders or looking to to really just do more for their teams. And I'm so motivated by that. I love working with people in that space. So if that's something that you're interested in, either for yourself or for your team, absolutely drop me a line. I would love to hear from you. And next, uh, Neil Thompson from teachthegeek.com wrote to tell me about a brand new community he's building to help STEM professionals build the public speaking skills. Now, this is just a germ of an idea so far, but uh, you can rest assured that I'll be sharing more with that project uh, as details become available. That uh, That's a, a critical skill for anyone, frankly, to be able to, to speak 
publicly. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this about engineering until they actually get out into the working world, is that having brilliant ideas and even documenting brilliant ideas is not enough. You need to be able to share those ideas in public forums. So public speaking is an absolute necessity for, I would say, 90% of engineers working in industry. And Neil Thompson is an absolute genius when it comes to public speaking for STEM folks. So do check out his work at teachthegeek.com. Finally, I also wanted to welcome some new members to the engineering and leadership community. Jason, Mike, Tyler, Vinny, and Robert all joined the community within the last week or so. So welcome to you. I'm very, very glad to have you along and uh, hope to hear from you soon. Finally, if you'd like to let me know what you thought of today's show, comments, questions, ideas, all of the above, let me know by leaving a comment on the show notes. It's at the very bottom of the page. Just go to engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 28. That is all the time we have for the show today. Thank you once again for Brett Fox for joining me. I had a lot of fun, as always. Really appreciate your time and attention, sir. I'll be back again next week, where you're going to hear from Shark Tank alumnus and the founder of the 1% Engineer Society, Jake Voorhees, on leading movements and building community even at the very beginning of your career. If you enjoyed the show, it would be fantastic if you could leave a review on whatever podcast service you're using, and I'd love to hear what you found interesting during today's interview. Leaving reviews helps me to make the show better and helps others to find the show as well, so that's a huge help. Thank you very much. For more information, links, and resources, just go to the show notes, engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 28. Until next time, this is Pat Sweet reminding you that if you're going to be anything, be excellent. You've been listening to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet. If you'd like to learn more, go to engineeringandleadership.com where you'll find more free articles, podcasts, and downloads to help engineers thrive. That's engineeringandleadership.com. Engineering and Leadership.